0: Open your Bibles tonight, briefly, to the book of 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. Second message in a sermon series entitled, Blessed Are the Poor, started this morning. I'm going to start tonight with a verse I ended with this morning from Proverbs. uh, And this is the verse, 29 verse 7. Read this verse with me. Uh, You read it this morning. Read it again. The godly care about justice for the poor. The wicked don't care at all it's very plain, as plain as it gets, the godly care about justice for the poor. Justice is one of those I've referred to this morning. It's sort of a political code word these days. And there are people who, if you use the word justice, they think that they can lump you into one political group or another. I'm telling you that that's not where I come from. Justice is a biblical word. And when I use the word justice, I don't mean it in any coded way. I want to use the word biblically as it. Occurs in Scripture. So let me ask you when Scripture says the godly care about justice for the poor, what do you think the word means? Justice. Justice. Yeah, Doing what is right. Yeah, doing what is right. J.C. says he wants to think that it means doing what's right. The godly care about doing what's right for the poor. I I like that. I like the J.C. Maxwell translation of scripture. Uh, I like that. Ken Sparks. Ken, was your hand up? Yeah, because we have received so much from Christ and truly everything we have belongs to Him. So it should be really nothing for us to share everything we have with others because everything belongs to Him. We know the source. So I don't have to worry about it if I were to give all the money in my wallet tonight. I don't have to worry whether my needs will be met tomorrow. I know that they will because God is my source. I, I don't have to be anxious about where my, uh, where my goods will come from. Everything comes from the Lord. I know that. And so I'm free to share. Uh, we, we benefit from so much of God's goodness. The word justice, well, what do you think it means? Mercy. Yeah, what's mercy, Chris? What do you think that word means? Mercy. Anybody else? Mercy. What do you think that word means? Cuz that's an excellent word. Yet doing for them what they can't do for themselves. Just having mercy on people. Sure, we could turn our backs. We could let them uh, scrap and and do for themselves. But but honestly, have mercy uh, that that is certainly uh, God's way. Have mercy on folks. Give them a break. Give folks a break. Cut them some slack. What else? Justice. Yeah, Larry. Yeah, e- equality, absolutely. I think when I think about the word justice, I would kind of combine two attributes of God and think about goodness and impartiality. We'll talk about a passage from James in, in, in two weeks, which helps us bring together that whole idea of impartiality. It's so important as God's people that we don't treat anybody any different, that we are impartial when it comes to others, which means that we're going to treat a stranger, that we're going to treat a stranger who's a different color. From We're going to treat everybody the same. Most of you here tonight would never have known Wallace Morris, a former pastor of Woodburn. For whatever you can say for and against Wallace, because he was absolutely a unique person and personality, this is a man who treated everybody the same. Absolutely everybody the same. If he were uh, approaching royalty, the president, the queen of England, he's going to be Wallace Morris and he's going to treat them in the same way he would treat anybody who walked in off the street or anybody he found on the street. An amazing kind of impartiality characterized w- Wallace Morris. And, and understand these are qualities that characterize God. God is good. God is impartial, God is merciful, and God is just. Justice is an attribute of God. And that's why it's a biblical word first that we have to recover and use in a biblical sense. Before you let the politicians take this word and run it into the ground, we have to know what it means from Scripture. Because justice is an attribute of God. And because it's an attribute of God, that makes it an attribute of value of God's people. We want to care about the goodness and impartiality of the poor. That they get treated the same as everybody else. Honestly, if you've eyes to see and if you're in the world at all, you'll have to recognize that often the poor do not get treated the same. And if you don't know that that is true, you're just not opening your eyes. You're not out there enough. I made friends with a man in our community who was very, very poor. Very poor. And, and honestly, as a result, in a lot of trouble, continual trouble uh, with the legal system. But his trouble often had very little to do with what he was doing or not doing. It's just the simple way that he always fell between the cracks, He called me one day because he said his food stamps have been canceled. And this was a man who needed food stamps to live and to eat. He had no other means. And so I called the social worker and I called the social services and said, please, what happened to this man's food stamps? And she said, nothing happened to his food stamps. We switched over to a card. Apparently several years ago they stopped using coupons and they started issuing a card, like a credit card, that that can be swiped. But the man I was trying to help, the man who was my friend, he was illiterate. He couldn't read. And just like the rest of us, he was getting credit cards in the mail all the time, trying to get him to open a credit card. He knew not to do that, but he couldn't tell the the food stamp credit card from every other credit card. He threw it away. He threw it away. He had no idea and nobody to help him. He missed a court date one day. And the social worker called me and said, he missed a court date. I said, did he know he was supposed to be in court? She said, well, we called him. I said, no, you didn't. He doesn't have a phone. The only way that you could possibly let him know he's expected in court is to go to his house. Well, we don't do that. So what's a man like that supposed to do? Who can't read his mail, doesn't have a phone and nobody's going to bother to go to his house you understand it's really not the same really not the same the way that you and I experience the world the way that other people treat you and me it's not always the same for others and that is why first john chapter 3 gives us the word that it gives us tonight the word is love and what I really want us to understand from Scripture tonight is that, that this love, this impartiality, this justice for the poor, honestly, is inseparable from the gospel and inseparable from Christian life and what God expects from us. First John chapter 3, verse 11. Uh, these are familiar words. Listen once more to what God says. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another we must not be like cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother why did he kill him because cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous so don't be surprised your brothers and sisters if the world hates you If we love our Christian brothers and sisters, it proves that we have passed from death to life. Did you hear that? If we love our Christian brothers and sisters, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Did you hear that? A person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other, Let us show the love by our actions. Let us not merely say that we love. Let's show the truth of our love by our actions. I told you before about uh, one of the first pastors I ever knew growing up. His name was Philip Masters, a wonderful man. And I've also told you about my grandfather, who was also a good man, but but honestly not a believer, not a Christ-like man. Uh, Brother Phil lived in the church house, Church parsonage, right around the corner from my grandfather. One day I was in the car with my grandfather and we were driving out, pulling out there at the, at the stop sign right by Brother Phil's house. And my pastor, Brother Phil, he stepped out of his house barefoot. Just one of those things. He stepped out of his house barefoot. And at that time, my grandfather just said out loud, and I'm in the car with him, he just says out loud, he says, that fool probably gave his shoes to some moron in the projects. Only he didn't say fool and he didn't say moron. My grandfather had his own vocabulary. That fool probably gave his shoes to some moron in the project. I thought three things at that moment. Honestly, I thought three things. The first thing I thought was, my pastor has the whitest feet of anybody I've ever seen in my life. I mean, his, his feet g- were glowing in the dark. Whitest feet ever. This man needed some sunshine. Whitest feet I'd ever seen. And I also thought, This must, maybe this has something to do with when the Bible says how beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. I don't know. I just had never seen my preacher's feet before. It was an odd thing. And I was a kid. The third thing that I remember thinking was if Brother Phil really did give his shoes to somebody in the projects, then that makes him an amazing man. And I want to be like him. But let me ask you this. Why would a man like my grandfather, who honestly is just a man like most people in the world, why would a man like my grandfather think it would be foolish to give your shoes to somebody in the project? Uh, Answer me. Why do people think like that? Because honestly, my grandfather probably would be speaking for most everybody we all know. Would think it would just be foolish to give your shoes away. Why does the world think that that kind of love and generosity is foolish? Selfish, Ken says, and that's the basic word, isn't it? Everybody in the world, most everybody you know, is mostly selfish. Just can't imagine taking the shoes off of their feet and giving them to somebody, even if they needed shoes. Why would you take your shoes and walk home barefoot? I want you to know something about Philip Masters. He probably did give his shoes to somebody in the projects. That's really the kind of man that he was. He probably really did. But that would make him a very, very rare kind of man in the world because most people are basically selfish. But but again, Brother Phil was actually a pastor. Why wouldn't you at least respect a pastor? I mean, wouldn't you expect a pastor to do something like that? But honestly, that kind of generosity, that kind of heart for the poor or heart for the needy is just not a part of our culture. It's really not a part of the heart of most anybody you know. Now, when my grandfather talked about the projects, he's also talking about people different from him and different from most everybody that we knew. And that certainly was a part of it. Sometimes in the world, we may be generous, but mostly generous toward people more or less like ourselves. We tend sometimes not to want to give to people who are, who are different, or maybe we consider radically different. Maybe that had something to do with it. If brother Phil gave his shoes to somebody more like my grandfather, maybe my grandfather would respect it. I I don't know. I don't mean to speak poorly of my grandfather. I'm simply trying to say, I think that he represents the way most everybody thinks, why would you go giving your shoes away? Why would you live like that? Actually, very, very important part, very important part of what it says here in 1 John. Go back to verse 11 with me. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Verse 14, if we love our Christian brothers and sisters, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. To quote the famous theologian, Tina Turner, what's love got to do with it? When it comes to our salvation, honestly, here's the question. What does love have to do with it? How does love somehow work together and and, and demonstrate salvation? What would you say? What's love got to do with it? Yeah, Chad, is your hand up? You're stretching. Okay. What's love got to do with it? Talk about love and salvation. Yeah, Ken? Absolutely, our salvation begins in the very heart of God. God himself is love. So you can't talk about salvation without beginning with a loving God. For God so loved the world, his only son he gave, we all sing tonight. To talk about salvation, you have to go back and talk about how it begins in the heart of a God of love. And and, and that's why love is so important. This is the message you've heard from the beginning, though, John says, that we should love One another. Now how do you move from God loves us to we should love one another? Talk about that. What's love got to do with it? Once I'm saved because of God's love, what happens next? Yeah, it overflows. God's love flows to me first. And then once I receive and accept God's love, what happens next? It flows from me. God's love flows out of me. It's a part of salvation. Once you receive God's love, once God's love pours into you, it overflows. It begins to pour out of you. And that's why John can say something so bold in verse 14. Read the words with me. John chapter 3, 1 John verse 14. If we love our Christian brothers and sisters, it, say the word, proves It proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. What does that mean? Put that in your words. The J.C. Maxwell translation of Scripture. What's that say, J.C.? Whoa. Whoa. Yeah, it it hurts when you say it that plain, J.C. If I don't love others, I'm not a Christian. Now, does that mean that the only way to become a Christian is to love people? That if you're a really good person and you love other people, then God will let you go to heaven? No, I'm not earning my salvation by being good to other people. No way. That's not what the scripture teaches. It is not that I'm I'm earning my salvation by loving people, but but the fact is, if I have experienced the transforming, saving power of God in my life, one of the ways I am transformed is to become a loving person. When I have received God's love, when I have become a Christian, my love is going to prove that I am. It's just one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's not something I have to fake. It's not something I have to put on or or work that hard at doing. It's just a fruit. It's a fruit of having the Spirit in me. I'm going to love. I'm going to love. And if you belong to Christ, they will know that we are Christians by our love. It's proof. So if you really are one of those people in the world who have no heart for others, if honestly in your life you are the most important person, then you really need to search your heart and consider whether or not you've really ever experienced the saving power of Christ. Because love is the evidence, the evidence that you have passed over from spiritual death to spiritual life. So what's love? What's love look like? What's it look like in everyday terms? What's love look like? Well, honestly, it's clear. Verse 16, we know what real love is because we watch soap operas. We know what real love is because we went to prom. Now, what's it say? We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Okay, what is real love? What's it look like? Self-sacrifice. Real love is, is best exemplified in Christ himself who gave up himself. So real love always has to do with self-sacrifice, self-sacrifice. In other words, if I truly have love in my heart, I'm going to lay down my life for other people. I'm going to die for them, so to speak. I'm going to be always willing to sacrifice myself and what I have and what I like. I'm always going to bend for the sake of other people. That's what real love is is and it's plain as everything the real love we see in Christ who gave up his life and then John gives us a little illustration sort of to bring it into our everyday life and this is where some of us will get bitten if someone has enough money verse 17 if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion how can God's love be in that person The illustration he goes right to is the example that every single one of us will face probably on a daily basis. If we have enough money to live well and we see somebody else in need, but we show no compassion, how can God's love be in us? The illustration is the needy brother. Remember the story in the New Testament where the lawyer is talking to Jesus and, and he says, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, the greatest commandment is to, remember? We're gonna have to preach that passage too. The greatest commandment is to love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, it's that plain, but because it's so plain, the lawyer felt this need to kind of muddy it up. So he says, well, well who's my neighbor? not that awesome? Why does he have to ask that question? Because there's something about us, when we're told that we have to love, there's something about us, we tend to start sort of counting the cost of that. Because real love is giving the self, self-sacrifice. So automatically the lawyer needs to know, okay, exactly who are we talking about here? I need names, dates, and places. I need to know exactly who I am I'm obligated to love in this way. Because just like us, he, he wanted to sort of limit his liability here. He wanted to sort of limit the scope and the price and the cost of the kind of love that Jesus was talking about. So he said, who is my neighbor? Jesus told him a story. Remember the story? The, the, the good Samaritan? What did the story demonstrate? That, that honestly, anybody who has a need is your neighbor. Anybody that you have an opportunity to help becomes your neighbor. That's the one that you are obligated to show love toward. You're obligated to help. How can anybody who has enough money to live well, see someone in need, not have compassion? If you can walk by that person, if you can be the bad Samaritan, how can you think God's love is in you? And there are two key words in this verse here, Verse uh, two key words in verse 17. If someone has enough, okay, right there, if you're like the law, you're in the Good Samaritan story, you'd want to stop me right there and go, okay, how much is enough? So I'll ask you, how much is enough? If someone has enough money to live well, then I guess we could also, while we're at it, define live well. So what's your definition? What's enough money to live well? Donna says, "If we have what we need, what do you need?" At our house, we have this continual conversation. "I need a barn. I need a barn." Casey says, "I don't need a barn." Y'all want to bring this to a church vote right now and, and save our marriage? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I may never get a barn. I, I need a barn. I really, really want a barn. Casey says, "I don't need a barn." Yeah, honestly. I probably don't need a barn. But but I really want a barn. Does that count for anything? I would be living well if, with a barn. You see how it works? It's very difficult for any of us to know the meaning of the word enough and what it means to live well. My goodness, honestly, most of us have so much... I know that we have all kinds of ranges of, of, of economics in this room. Some of you make a lot more than, than others. And, and, and I know that none of us are ever going to roll our bank statements out. But, but honestly, everybody in this house, every one of us lives so much better than, than even our grandparents. I still think about the two houses that my grandmas lived in. I'm telling you, I don't know how they lived. They were tiny, tiny little boxes of houses that they added bathrooms to in the 70s. I mean, what did they do for all of those years? You know what they did? Outhouse. Yeah. My grandmother's outhouse. When I was visiting, I just thought it was kind of fun. She had a two-seater outhouse. And I used to try to sit in this hole and then look at myself from the other hole. Yeah, Just kind of looked down. It was just the most amazing thing. But I didn't have to go out there in the middle of the winter. You understand? I mean, it was fun because it was just kind of weird and, and out there. But, but people used to live that way. You understand? My grandparents raised like four kids. And they had one bedroom for all the kids. Can you even imagine that now? Can you even imagine? Think about the house that most of us live in. Just imagine your grandparents living in it they would think you're crazy they wouldn't think how nice they would think you're nuts why do you need this much house and it's actually a pretty good question why do we all think we need so much house we got guest bedrooms but we don't ever invite anybody over when's the last time you had a guest that slept in your guest bedroom so what's it for what's it for Some of you got guest bathrooms and the only thing that ever happens in there is like once every two years, you have to go scrub the black out of the toilet because nobody's ever used that toilet. Isn't it interesting? But we just can't get enough. Can't get enough. My grandmother Harris used to have in her bedroom, called it her wardrobe. It was her closet. It was a closet, and it wasn't built in like our closets. It was just a, a wardrobe, and it had a door, and we used to get in and hide. But understand, in her wardrobe was every single article of clothing that she had and every pair of shoes. It all fit in one wardrobe about this wide. Your grandmother would walk in your walk-in closet and think you're crazy, she wouldn't envy all the clothes you have. I just don't think she would. I think she would think that you've somehow lost your mind. Why would you need so many clothes? Why would you? And she would never understand you laying in the tannin bed, but that's a totally different story. Do you recognize that the life we live is so beyond what our grandparents knew and our grandparents did okay. They did fine. We have a real strange sense of what it means to have enough to live well. But something tells me that when Scripture says have enough to live well, it has something to do with basic needs. Something to do with having clothes to wear and having food to eat and having a house to live in and having transportation in our day and age. I think it means that. But my goodness, there really is a place where enough is enough and then we've got something left over to share. Honestly, why would I be saving money for a barn when there are people who don't have houses? Why am I saving money for a barn? Why would I think that I would somehow live better when there are people who aren't living well at all? How can I say God's love is in me if I care more about my little house and having all that I can cram inside of it and building on new rooms and buying barns? You understand, it really takes us somewhere outside the biblical picture of what a Christian is supposed to live like. If someone has enough money to live well, and here's the next important word, sees, sees. So this morning, I've challenged all of us to be looking for opportunities to give to the poor in the next three weeks. And some of you are already thinking, I don't think I see anybody that's poor. This is what I'm saying. You've got to pray that God will open your eyes. you just got to pray that God will open your eyes. There are people in need all around you. This morning after service, I was talking to B.J. Cummings. And B.J. says that Lost River School, where she works, it's less than 10 miles up the road from us. Lost River School is something like now between 70 and 75% free lunch, which means three out of four kids at that school qualify for free lunch. BJ says at that school, one of the programs they have is to make backpacks of food to send home with children on Friday who would not eat again until they come back to school on Monday. This is a program at Lost River School. Do you understand that? Does that ever sink in? That these really are kids that live around us and and you see them if you would learn to see them. The word used here in Scripture, the Greek word really, it means more than just to see. It means to see and understand. All at once, to see and understand. I grew up in Woodburn. I grew up riding the same school bus as you did, living in the same community. I've known all the same people that you have known. And honestly, in my school years, a lot of my greatest regrets go back to the way I treated the people who were poor. Honestly, I didn't understand them. I just didn't understand. I remember uh, back in the old days, we used to have milk break at school, uh, milk break, and everybody would kind of bring a snack. I'd bring a snack and you would get milk uh, out of the carton, just white milk. Chocolate milk had not been invented. It was just, you know, white, you know, milk at about 98.6, like it was straight out of the cow. Uh, that's what we had back in the olden days. Uh, you get milk break and you bring a little baggie of cookies or something for a snack in the middle of the afternoon. Laura Collins, who lived here in Woodburn, Laura was my girlfriend like for a, a thousand years. Uh, Laura always brought a honey bun. Now, I thought the Collinses must be rich. Because, I mean, she had a honey bun. You know, honey buns in those days were like this big in a package. And she would eat a honey bun every single day. And it was a gigantic honey bun. And she could hardly ever finish it most days. And so Laura used to eat what she could eat and then pitch it in the trash. Pitch it in the trash. There was this girl in our class who continued to dig Laura's honey buns out of the trash can and eat them. And she got in trouble for it because she would get pencil shavings in her mouth because the trash always had the uh, empty, you know, shavings from the pencil sharpener. And she would eat this filthy honey bun out of the trash every day. And the teacher would yell at her. And we all made fun of her because what kind of a person fishes food out of a trash can? What kind of a person would eat a honey bun that's covered with pencil shavings? You know what kind of person would do that? A hungry person. As a kid growing up, I really couldn't imagine that. I always had food in my house. Always had plenty to eat. It never even would have crossed my mind that this girl probably had no other options. It never ever crossed my mind that while we all brought snacks from home, she never did. I grew up with that girl. I went to school with her and I just thought she must be the craziest girl in the world. We were at the school bus with a little boy who smelled like urine. And we made so much fun of him because he stunk. He smelled like pee every single day. He stunk. And we laughed at him and made fun of him. And then I found out years later that at his house, all the kids shared a bed. And he shared a bed with his little brother who wet the bed every single night. And that boy couldn't help the fact that he smelled like his brother's pee. We rode the bus with him. We made fun of him. Nobody wanted to sit by him. He smelled awful. I'm not kidding about that. He smelled awful. But he couldn't help it. And none of us could imagine his story. None of us ever stopped to think, why would someone smell like urine? It never crossed our mind, except as an opportunity to make fun of him. How can we say that we have the love of God in us? When we see people, and that's the point, we don't see them. Or if we see them, we don't understand. I mentioned this morning that the job market, and I'm not an expert. I don't know anything about this stuff, but I knew, to, I do know just from watching and talking to people that it's hard to get a job these days, and it is especially hard if you don't have any skills. I mean, in the old days, perhaps you could just go get a job at a factory. But factory jobs are hard to get these days. Is that not the truth? They're hard to get. And if you don't have any skills, there aren't a lot of jobs for you. And if you do get a job, it's not going to pay well. It's not going to support a family. I'm not making this stuff up. Surely y'all know this. You talk to people, you see the same things I see. I don't know how people are going to make it but when you see people who are struggling you got to see with some sort of understanding you can't be so quick to judge I think the reason we want to judge them so quickly is because if we can come up with a good reason why they are the way they are then maybe we can excuse the fact that we're not going to help them maybe what we're doing is just trying to look for a good excuse so that we can make ourselves feel better about the fact that we have no intention of of helping them. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother and sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. It just really doesn't get any plainer than this. As Christians, we are obligated, obligated to share what we have with others in need. We're obligated to see them. We're obligated to understand something about their need. And we're obligated to help, not to help those in need around us is a sin. And it calls the very integrity of our faith into question. When you see someone in need, scripture says, you got to help them. You've just got to help them. And if there's nothing in you that makes you want to help them, you need to really ask yourself if you even know the Lord. Because if God's heart is in your heart, you're going to want to help people. You're going to want to help people. Any final thoughts tonight? Anything at all? I'm asking you to do three things in the next three weeks. I'm going to asking you to give to the poor. We talked about it a little bit as a family today. I just want to look for a really amazing way for us. And it'll never be a public thing. It'll be a private thing. But Casey Wade and I are just looking for an opportunity to to give, to share something of what we have with with, with someone in need. And we're going to continue to pray and talk about that. I encourage you to do the same thing. I don't know what you'll do, but, but I want you to do it. I want you to do it personally. I want you to do it privately but give to someone in need. It's one of the acts of righteousness that Jesus talks about. I'm asking you to pray. Pray for the poor. Pray that God will give you eyes to see and to understand their need. And then pray that God will help you be a friend to the poor. Pray that God will help you befriend the poor. And then I'm asking you to fast. I don't know how many of you are physically able to fast. We probably all have some sort of limitations there. But do some sort of fast. Maybe just miss a meal Maybe just skip a meal, but take that money that you have spent on food and maybe use that to buy food for others. Uh, The Sunday after this coming Sunday on the 19th will be hunger Sunday for us. Maybe you fast on that day and you come to church hungry, but you bring food for the poor. We're collecting food all month long, but honestly, next Sunday may not be the best day to bring it. We'll have homecoming. The vestibule will be packed. But by the time we get to Hunger Sunday on the 19th, let's make sure we can fill this place up with food. I want a mountain of food that is visible from outer space. Are you listening to me? We can raise an enormous amount of food, and we're obligated to do so. So I just encourage you to look for opportunities to serve the poor. Let's stand together. Let's be dismissed. I love you so much. It's been such a good day in worship. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, uh, a good deacons meeting, and a a good Sunday coming up next week. Uh, I pray for you all through this coming week. Ask God to bless you. Uh, Any final thoughts, anyone?